This morning we're reading um, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David Duran, and I am a church planting resident here at Doxa Church. By God's grace, my family is prayerfully uh, working towards moving to Massachusetts to plant a a gospel-centered Bible-saturated, Holy Spirit-empowered church in an area that desperately needs more healthy churches. I read something uh, about a month ago, and it said that there are more evangelical Christians in Saudi Arabia than Massachusetts. And my wife and I are, are honored and we're humbled that, that God would call us to a place like that. And, and we're grateful to be able to learn from, from the leaders here at Doxa and, and from the members of Doxa Church before we move to Massachusetts in 2022. Let me also say that it is, it is a blessing to be able to preach this morning and look directly into the eyes of human beings and not only into the eye of a camera. Um, I'm very grateful for the, the technology that allows us to to connect and worship our God together, even, even when we can't be all in the same room. So hello to everyone who's watching. Um, but I think, I think I speak for preachers everywhere in saying that it is difficult and it's not ideal to preach to a camera on Sunday mornings. But anyway, I, I just I want to thank you for being with us this morning, whether you're, you're here in the flesh or you're watching online. Just thank you for uh, being with us for worship this morning. We have an especially powerful uh, passage of Scripture to look at together this morning. Now, there's, we, know that, we know that all Scripture is, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in, right, in righteousness. So, so all Scripture is, is powerful. So it wouldn't be inaccurate for whoever is, is preaching on any given Sunday to say we have a powerful passage of Scripture to look at. However, what I am saying is that given the, the current climate, climate that we're in, 
with an, an ongoing pandemic that is, has really intensified in our area here, with uh, intense political division, with racial injustice and unrest, isolation and depression and, and a host of, of, whole, of, of other things, um, we really need to, to feel the truth and the reality of Romans 8, 31 to 39, deep in our hearts and deep in our souls this morning. I have, I have no desire simply and only to enlighten your mind to the reality of God's love for his people and the, the security that, that springs forth from that. If you finish listening this morning with, with nothing more than a, a greater uh, intellectual grasp of everything that I've talked about that we're going to look at, then I have failed as a preacher this morning. Friends, I want us to have our minds enlightened so that our hearts can be transformed. I want you to feel in your heart and in your soul the reality of what the Apostle Paul is expounding in our passage this morning. And the only hope that we have of of that happening is for us to pray that the Lord would make that a reality. So I'm going to pray for all of us. Um, but I encourage you to pray in your, own, in your own heart as we ask the Holy Spirit for help as we look at our passage this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we can be here this morning, whether in person or watching. Lord, I thank you that we can be together, and I thank you that we have your word. Thank you that your word is powerful, that it's alive, that it's active, that it transforms us. Father, we pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that this this word, this truth that we're going to look at this morning, God, I pray that you would sink it deep into our hearts, Father. God, I pray that you would help me to say things that are honoring to you, that are true to your word, that are edifying to everyone here. God, I pray that you would, you would help to, to block out distractions that we all have in our busy lives and in our crazy world. God, help us to focus on you for these next few minutes. Father, we desire to be transformed by you, so I pray in Jesus' name that you would do that this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when we first started looking at at Romans 8 a few weeks ago, Brian Weiler described this this chapter as one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And he was absolutely correct in saying this. If someone came up to me and said, I want to try to memorize an entire chapter of the Bible, but they weren't sure where to start, I could send them to Psalm 117, which is only two verses, and that would maybe build up their confidence and get them off to a, to a good start. But I wouldn't do that. I would send them straight to Romans 8. Romans 8 is a chapter that is filled with, with hope and with encouragement. But at the, at the same time, Paul does not deny the harsh realities of life in a, in a fallen and sinful world. And in my opinion, Romans 8, 31 to 39, it kind of it serves as a bit of a hinge point in, in the book of Romans. 
So in this passage, Paul is is looking back at everything that he said thus far in the letter, and he's also setting the stage for the next great section of this letter, and that's Romans 9 to 11. Look at the first part of verse 31 here. In our passage this morning, Paul, he begins with a very important question. He says, what then shall we say to these things? And it's key to understand what, what Paul is saying here. The, these things that Paul is talking about, they, they provide the basis for what he's going to say in the rest of verse 31. And then verse 32 is going to provide a, a very powerful illustration for us. So Paul, he's essentially saying, what should we say in light of everything we have seen thus far in, in this letter? What conclusion should you or should I come to as we read through Romans and we get to verse 31 of chapter 8. Church, remember remember all that we've looked at thus far in, in the series. We saw that the gospel, the good news of what God has done through Christ to save his people from their sin and reconcile them to himself, we saw that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew or Gentile, Slave or free, man or woman, the gospel brings salvation to all who believe. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that glorious reality. We saw that the righteous shall live by faith. We've seen that that justification, our, our righteous standing before God, is not by works, but by the gift of faith. We saw that there's, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And as Christians, we are free from the power of sin. Just a couple verses before, we, we read uh, two, two weeks ago, we read that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We see in verse 30 that God is the initiator of our, of our salvation. Therefore, he will be faithful to bring it to completion. Those whom God has justified, he also glorified. All of, all of these things and more are the, the these things that Paul is talking about in verse 31. So what, what conclusion does Paul draw from this? He says in verses 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? Here's the conclusion. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verses 31 and 32, they bring me to the first of of three points that I have for you this morning. And this this first observation that I have, it it required uh, no digging in the original language. It it required uh, no help from any commentaries. In fact, I think Paul Paul makes this so explicit in our passage because he wants to make sure that no one could possibly miss this. Christian brothers and sisters, God is for us. God is for us. Now, for some of you, maybe your, your, your heresy antennas went up as I said that. So let me, let me explain what I mean here. I'm not saying that God's purpose uh, in, in existing is to serve humanity. I know that God is for his own glory. I know that that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I know that that God is infinitely greater than his creation. 
When I say that God is for us, I mean that God has made a covenant with his children. And his children are are those who have placed their faith in Christ. God has made a covenant with his children to love them and to be with them forever. God will never cease to love us, and he will never leave us. He will never, ever forsake us. Brothers and sisters, God is for us. And no one and no thing can successfully oppose us. No matter how how bleak or discouraging our world and our surroundings look, nothing, nothing can stand in the way of those whom God is for. Nothing can stand in the way of God's purposes for us. Nothing can prevent those whom he has justified from being glorified. The enemy, the enemy of our souls who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, he is nothing in the face of our God. Church, our God is for us. Christian brother, sister here today, your God is for you. I think we need to be reminded over and over again just who our God is. We need to be reminded and we need to remember who who this God is who is for us. How easy we forget the the majesty and the power of, of, and, and the great love of our God who is for us. And the love that he has towards his people. I want to read just a couple of sections of scripture for you real quick. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That that is our God. Psalm 23, well-known Psalm, verses four and five. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We could literally go on and on forever. And one day we will go on and on forever, praising and remembering the faithfulness and the majesty of our God who is for us. That day's coming. Now in saying saying that God is for us, meaning that he's with us, he's committed in his love, towards us and for us, Paul is not saying that no one is against us. Paul is not saying that because God is for us, the Christian life is nothing but ease and comfort. If you've been a Christian for more than a week, you should know that that is not true. Remember what Jesus said in, in John, John, um, who was it? John 15, 18 to 19. He said, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's just just no way around it. If you truly live your life as a Christian, 
If you really live as an ambassador who is a sent representative of King Jesus himself, the reality is that many will be against you. Plenty of people will despise you and mock you and say mean things about you. That, that's that's going to happen. A number of us here in our church, we've been praying and pleading that the, the Lord would help all of us to, to live our lives on mission for Christ. And I think we're starting to see some signs that the Lord is answering our prayers. And let me, let me just encourage all of you who are members here at DOXA, I want to encourage you to begin praying, if, if you're not already, that we would view ourselves as a people who have been awakened and sent by God. Pray that we would be a church that, that lives our lives on mission for the glory of Christ. But as we're praying, let's be sure of something. If we truly live our lives as ambassadors of Christ and we seek to live a life on mission for him, there's going to be times when it feels like everyone and everything is against us. And saying, I'm going to reiterate this, and saying who can be against us, Paul is not saying all is well all the time. There are, there are terrible forces that are against us. Remember Ephesians 6.12, it says, do not re- we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're going to face opposition in many different forms as we live for Christ. Friends and family, they might turn on us. People that are close to us, they, they might betray us. Our own sin Our own sin will seek to discourage us and weigh us down as we live for God's glory. Suffering and difficulty are assured for us as we live for Christ. But but with, with God for us, and if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he is for you. With God for us, no one and no thing can successfully oppose us. Let, Let the reality of that sink in this morning. What an encouragement. What an encouragement for us who belong to Christ. But here's an important thing for us to stop and think about here for for a minute. How can we know that any of that is true? How can we be sure with complete confidence of the love of God in Christ for us? Look at verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How can we be sure that God is for us? Because he gave his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in the place of all who would trust in him. The evidence of God being for us is the giving of his own son to be crucified on the cross. God has given us the greatest gift. And if you're a Christian, if you know Christ as your Savior, you can say with complete confidence, God delivered his son up for me, therefore he is not going to abandon me. Doesn't matter how many times you struggle with anger, doesn't matter how many times you, you, you battle a doubt and anxiety, it doesn't how many to- matter how many times you, you fight against sexual sin, Every follower of Christ in here this morning needs to know that God's love towards you, it does not change. 
He will not fail in his love for you. Now, I I intentionally used words there to indicate a desire to fight and struggle against sin. If we're, if we're passively giving in to temptation with no real repentance, then we would be having a different conversation right now. But for those who truly belong to Christ, his love for you does not change. And for those of you listening who you do not have a relationship with God through Christ, I want you to know the kind of love that God has towards his people. And again, more than just, just knowing, I want you to feel, I want you to experience the love of God in your own life. I want you to know Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And it's through a relationship with Christ that we experience the love of God. If you're listening this morning and you, you are a Christian and you're you're struggling with your assurance. You're a Christian and, and you aren't sure if God loves you anymore. The reality is you haven't fully grasped what happened when Jesus went to the cross. If you're struggling with your assurance as a Christian, you're not understanding the, the particular nature of Christ's death and resurrection. Again, as a Christian, you can say with complete confidence, Jesus died for me. And the fact that God gave his son for us magnifies the giving of his love to us. I'm going to say that again. The fact that God gave his son for us magnifies the giving of his love to us. It's key that we remember that. Continuing in verses 33 and 34, Paul writes, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, charges and accusations against us and condemnation and feelings of shame do not and should not stick to us. That's that's my second point for you this morning. Charges do not stick against us. The language that Paul uses here is, it gives us the scene of a a courtroom that's taking place. And imagine one person person is there and they're they're accusing and they're blaming someone else in, in, in that courtroom. Well, friends, the great accuser in this scene is Satan and Christ's followers are the ones who are being accused. And it's as if Paul is saying, how dare anyone Bring any accusation or condemnation against God's elect. Don't you know that God is the one who justifies? Now, some people, they get a little bit confused with that word elect that Paul uses there. And we're we're going to be going into greater detail over that term and the doctrine of election as we look at Romans 9 over the next two weeks. But for now, you need to understand that God's elect are those whom he has chosen to be his. God's elect are those who have placed their faith in Christ and all of those who will place their faith in Christ. A Christian is is not merely one who who has decided for Christ or made a decision for Christ. No, the Christian is one who has been elected, who has been chosen by God. If you're confused by that at all or you have questions, make, make sure you're here or that you listen to the next two sermons because Paul is going to help us understand this the best we can 
as we look at Romans 9. But back, back to my main point here. Charges and accusations against us by the chief accuser do not stick to us because we belong to God and Christ is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Now, it's, it's not that, that charges and accusations are not true. No, we're, we're very much guilty of the evil acts and the sin that we're accused of. All of us, we deserve to have the book thrown at us because we have disobeyed God. And we, we deserve the strictest punishment. But listen to this. We can face the judgment with confidence because we rest in the finished work of Christ. Christ is interceding for us as our high priest. And I trust that everyone here who is a Christian, you've heard something like that before. I trust that you have, you have some grasp of the fact that Christ is interceding for you, that his blood covers you. But I think far too often we fail to see how this actually applies to our lives. If you've ever felt like you're a, a second-rate Christian, you're probably not understanding what it means to have Christ interceding for you. If you've ever let the guilt and the shame of, of past sins and, and shortcomings haunt you in your everyday life, you're not seeing the beauty of Romans 8, 34 and a, a whole bunch of other texts in Scripture. Because God is the one who justifies, because Christ is interceding for us, because accusations and charges do not stick to us, we are able to live a life free from guilt and shame, and we're able to have complete confidence as Christians. Friends, a lack, a lack of confidence and a lack of security when it comes to our assurance, it makes us impotent for the kingdom of God. It leads us to, to always look inward and never look outward to a broken world that desperately needs Christ. For much, for much of my life, I was an athlete, and from time to time, I like to still consider myself an athlete. And of, oftentimes, the difference between an athlete who's able to excel and one who, who struggles, it has to do with their confidence level. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I've, I've experienced this myself. When I don't feel confident, when I don't feel like my, my coach trust me and believes in me, then it, it can be really difficult to, to play the game. You're always worried that you might, you might get pulled out of the game and you're, you're just afraid. You're afraid to make a mistake. And I think there's a number of, of Christians who live their lives in a similar way to an athlete who doesn't have any confidence. You're afraid that God is just gonna give up on you and sit you over on the bench forever. And if that's, if that's you today, I want you to get that thought completely out of your mind. As Christians, we can be confident that if we, not if, when we fail and when we mess up, Christ is interceding for us. And let, let the confidence that springs forth from that cause your heart to rest a little bit. Church, because Christ is interceding for us, nothing can separate us from his love. Christ's love for us is not because we in our own strength are able to just cling so tightly to him. That's, that's not what it is. No, Christ is the one who's holding on to us. He is interceding for us. Let's look, look again at verses 35 to 39. I'm going to read them. 
can look at them if you have your Bible in front of you. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're taking notes, my third, my third point this morning is this. Separation is impossible. Separation is impossible. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And just so we're, we're crystal clear here, the us that Paul is talking about, the us is, is believers. For those who belong to Christ, nothing can separate us from his love. It doesn't matter what we're facing now or what we will one day face. Nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Now, let me remind you, let me remind you, it's not unusual for God to allow his children to be undeservedly exposed to the cruelty of the ungodly. And Paul, Paul himself is the perfect example of this. Listen to how he describes some of the things that he has faced in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. Listen to what Paul says. This is what he, he himself has went through. He has experienced this. And he's saying, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Paul writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul has lived this. He's not just providing us with some kind of theoretical understanding of what he's talked about. He has lived it and he has experienced it. And he can testify that the love of Christ prevails in the midst of intense suffering and persecution. In fact, it seems to be the case that the deeper our sufferings and afflictions are, the sweeter the gospel and the love of Christ becomes. I'm reminded of a story I read a while ago, probably at least five years ago. So the details are a little bit hazy, but it was an article and it was talking about a group of Christian uh, missionaries who had been jailed in a country where Christianity was heavily persecuted. Just imagine the, the worst possible conditions in terms of, of life in jail. But these missionaries said that their time with the Lord in prayer and in singing together was so powerful that they actually, this is crazy, they actually missed being in jail once they were released. The presence of God was so strong and tangible in that, in that jail that they would have had no problem going back. Friends, even when it seems like God is nowhere to be found and the worst possible situations, the love of Christ is present with his people. And in verse 37, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him 
who loved us. And that language should cause us to think, think back to Romans 8.28 where he writes, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Paul wants us to know that not only do we we conquer and overcome the adversaries that we face uh, through Christ, but under the the providential hand of God, these things even work towards our good. You see, those those things that would seem to indicate an absence of God's presence, they only serve to intensify it, and they work towards our benefit. Brothers and sisters, separation from the love of Christ is impossible. Neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not sure how that could be stated any clearer. As Christians, it's impossible for us to be separated from the divine love of God. Church, in our, in our passage, Romans 8, 31 to 39, we hear of the love of God in Christ for us. We hear that our God truly, he truly is for us. We hear of the, the certainty of our final vindication because of the justifying verdict of God. Charges do not stick to us. We don't just just beat the case. It's as if the case never existed. We hear and we see that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Separation is impossible. As we prepare to take communion together this morning, let's remember and let's celebrate what Christ did on the cross for us. Let's be reminded that God's love towards us, it will never fail. Let's celebrate Christ's victorious resurrection from the dead. And remember, one day he's coming back to gather all who are his. Now I want to remind you, there is a a very real sense in which Christ is present with us this morning as we worship and as we take communion. Although he's he's not here in the flesh, Jesus is very much here with us in spirit. Now, I want, to, I want to insist that only those who are professing followers of Jesus Christ participate in communion this morning. If you're visiting and, and you're not a Christian, we are so glad that you're here. And I hope, I hope you'll hang around for a minute afterwards because we would, we would love to meet you. I personally would love to meet you. I would say I'd love to shake your hand, but I, I don't think... We're doing that. I'd love to just kind of give you a nod and talk to you for a minute. But what we're getting ready to do here, this this is a family meal. And I want to ask that you refrain from taking part in in this portion of the service. So I I believe that the band is going to come lead us uh, in song. And communion service are going to be here at the front. I believe they'll be on both sides. Um, So I encourage you to to come forward uh, whenever you're ready. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. The band is going to lead us, and then we'll, we'll take communion together. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can be assured of your love for us when we look at the cross. Father, I thank you that nothing can separate us 
from your great love. Father, oh, in, in my own heart, how I'm prone to stray and wander and think that you're, you're no longer pleased with me, that you no longer love me, God. I thank you that I can have complete assurance in your love for me. And God, I pray for anyone in here this morning who's, or who's listening, who's struggling with that. They're doubting that you truly love them and they, they belong to you. I pray, God, this morning that you would, you would show them. You'd show them your great love for them. That they'd feel it in, in their heart that you are for them. God, I pray for us this week as we live our lives um, for your glory, God. I pray that um, the reality of our assurance would spur us in mission, God. That we can be confident. We don't have to lay back on the sidelines, but we can, we can labor hard for, for you and for your kingdom more because we're confident of your love towards us. God, thank you again that we can be here together and worship you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh.